Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a deep dive into Oddbo's most underappreciated work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. We've changed the intro for Arc 2 and let's keep going, shall we? Yeah. So we we left Arc 1, or I guess we left the penultimate episode of Arc 1, with Blake preparing for the ceasefire around the council meeting. Um, and he has a good idea here, which I mean, I probably would have had as well, but when you're reading it, you don't think about these things. He's just going to use the ceasefire around the council meeting to go out and buy shit. <laughs> uh, no, this was my first thought as well when we heard about the ceasefire. Uh, like a couple, I think it's a couple of hours each side. I was like, mm. so that's pretty much going to be his only chance to go and buy more beans and rice. Yeah, um, once a month he has a, a three, whatever, a six-hour shopping window. And that's yeah. it. <laughs> um, so he's kind of, he's starting by making a shopping list, basically. Um, well, it's not, it's not a shopping list. It's like this all-encompassing to-do list. Like, he just starts by saying, ah, oh, I should get some weapons, and, um, yeah. you know, and he, and he starts listing off basic supplies, and then it suddenly gets to, like, I need allies. Oh, and also, like, Rose needs help. And just yeah. the, the scope of this list just drastically increases, and you can, you can kind of tell he's just, like, he started trying to list off all the stuff he wants to do and had a kind of mini panic attack and was like, I have too much to do and just yeah. quit. <laughs> Three hours a month is not enough time to get all this stuff done. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, he calls out specifically that he needs allies, which we're going to get to later. Um, you know, and knowing that he's about to go and actually finally meet a lot of the people that, that will be players in the kind of political intrigue of the town, this I, this uh this sentence I need allies becomes very relevant. Yeah, yeah. He seems to have forgotten it by the end of the chapter, but we'll get we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Good point. Uh, so <laughs> the other thing to kind of take note of here at the start is Rose is missing. Blake kind of looks around and and uh, it's it's kind of unclear whether he knows where he she is or not, but she's not there. And he notices her absence by also noticing uh how clean all of the stuff on her side is. Um. He's got plates mm. in the sink, he's got books left out, he's got some of Molly's old stuff left out. And I I love this because they're they're very they're all just like like to be a human is is to make mess, you know? Like, yeah. Plates, mess from sleeping, your family, you know, it's like all these things are things that Rose just doesn't have. And so her side, of course, is clean. Yeah, it it's it's just drawing attention to the fact that not only is her life miserable, but it's also in kind of inhuman. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, Blake kind of puts on his second sight, trying it out again, uh, and sees spirits everywhere, like tons of them. Um, and we finally, we finally get a bit of an idea of what, how pervasive spirits are, I suppose, in this chapter. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is sort of like, he, he saw a couple last time, but this is really where I'm getting the sense of, and, and he goes into it a bit more, but they're not like souls or ghosts, which was more my impression last time. They're, it's just like, they they seem to be like the embodiments of any kind of concept or idea that, it, yeah. like, it, it's very, it's very, um, animist, um, where, yeah. where there's this concept of like a pencil will have all of these spirits associated with it that kind of act like a- animals from the perspective of the practitioners so they can be manipulated, and that seems to be essentially mm. how magic works. Yeah, it's it's kind of this, <laughs> like, magical energy that's also kind of sentient things. It's, yeah. it's a bit vague, but yeah. Uh, no, it's it's great, and, and so it seems like, 
indirectly, like all magic is presumably just manipulating spirits. Like I imagine even if you make a deal with other and, and other, it's because the others can manipulate them. I'm not sure, but yeah, mm. yeah, it's it's cool. Um, yeah. I also there's there's a great little line as Blake is sort of going going through some of what he read um about mm. all this stuff and and he, i think he's noting that his grandma had way more notes on the others in the area than on any of the other practitioners and it's just grandmother it seemed was more interested in others than people which is a, a great tie back to the interlude that uh was just before this <laughs> chapter yeah yeah uh others she can comprehend others they have rules they have <laughs> they follow you know rules not so with people um so B- blake kind of heads to off to find rose and we basically all the kind of resentment that was bubbling up through the previous arc finally is explicitly spelled out here um yeah yeah i i don't know why i i just assumed this was going to take longer to be more of a thing but uh i mean rose pretty much explicitly calls out that Blake just gets to make the decisions and she doesn't, and she sort of admits defeat, which Blake's all like, oh, no, don't do that, but then he keeps doing all the decision-making. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, Blake says, you know, oh, all right, how about I run all the major decisions past you, you know? Yeah, and um, we'll get to that well, later. Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, and, and so Blake is kind of, you know, to his credit, he's putting in some solid effort to try and keep Rose Rose Junior's spirits up, right? Um, yeah, he he wants her to be around, not just because he he does seem to care about her at least on some level, but because he sees her as a pretty useful resource, basically like a, a walking library, right? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of it. Like she is very useful because she's already got way more knowledge than him. But I mean, also, I just think yeah. he does like and trust her and. You know, yeah. I mean, she reminds him of himself for obvious reasons. Um, so, <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> so it's just you know he he does he does sort of genuinely care for her, but it's just yeah, pretty shitty situation they found themselves in. Yeah, he he tries to cheer her up, but doesn't really get any luck until he kind of points out, which is a good point. He points out that Rose Senior wouldn't have put so much energy into making Rose Junior if she only just served a single purpose and then disappeared. Like, it seems like a waste of energy to do that. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. But that doesn't mean that there's not, like, a five-year plan for Rose where then she dies. But yeah. Um, yeah. I just love this line where, where they're talking about their, their grandma and um, Blake sort of says, I've been reading. Everything referencing Diabolists says they're dangerous lunatics, except for the stuff that was written by grandmother and other Diabolists. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> it's so gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that makes sense with what we know of Diabolists yeah. so far. Um, so they kind of talk more about some of the other practitioners and Jacob's Bell prepping for the council meeting a bit, but we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to their discussion of these people later, I think. Yeah, um, when we actually meet them, there's no, no sense. Yeah. I mean, the the, the book, uh, we sort of talked about this before, but the a lot of the information we get in this chapter isn't necessarily new, but it's it's just reaffirming bits that were trickled out to us between riddles in the last arc so people kind of reading this as a normal story chapter right after chapter probably not got a fairly solid idea so wobbo's just sort of reinforcing who these people are which is which is good yeah um so then it's the time it's time for the council meeting or three hours before the council meeting and the spirits part that it's this weird image it's a nice image of of these spirits kind of just 
softening up. The world just kind of softens, you know? Yeah. Um, in a very tangible way, like the snow that's outside kind of stops falling as heavily and everything just seems to get a bit nicer out there in the world. <laughs> yeah, I love I love how we're, we're constantly sort of getting uh, drilled into us by Wabo that the spiritual, or, you know, the spirits and the, and the practitioner world and the mortal world are so intertwined, like things that affect the spiritual world seem to affect the the real one and just in a way that kind of seems a bit random or just sort of makes sense to, to normal people. Mm. Um, it really seems like yeah. practitioners are kind of stuck between these two sides of the same world. Um, yeah, totally. And, and just I, a different kind of form of energy that governs the world, you know? Yeah. Um, and I mean, because I'm already getting this idea that, you know, we're sort of supposed to extrapolate these concepts and think like things like World War Two or, or any other war were probably, you know, things going on in the world of practitioners that sort of steered things in those directions. Like, you know, it seems to be mm. implying that a lot of like even quite um, uh, what's it, widespread hate of, of certain peoples and stuff is being influenced mm. a lot by spirits. And so. You know, there's sort of this secret Illuminati of practitioners that have sort of been guiding his or affecting history uh, more than guiding it. Yeah, I think even if it's not guiding it, it's definitely like these major events in the quote unquote human world <laughs> would definitely have had like scars and rippling impacts yeah. into and out of the, the practitioner world or the spirit world or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um so Blake takes this opportunity to go, to go shopping, quick shopping spree. Uh, we get a, a great shopping arc early on in this story too. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Blake buys 20 mirrors and a bunch of weapons. And not just like normal person weapons. He gets like a baseball bat, but he also is like looking at buying an ice pick for a bit. He gets a hatchet. Like, shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, buying the pile of mirrors is nice because he, he sort of... Um... After his argument with Rose earlier in the chapter, he makes this thing where he's going to try and show her that he's sort of sorry and, and it's trying to make things right, not tell her. And this is a, a great little, you know, uh, delivery on that sort of promise to himself. Yeah, he definitely earns some points with Rose. Uh, she's still annoyed in general, but she she kind of concedes that that's a nice, <laughs> nice move. Yeah, exactly. Um, as Blake is going to to check out with some of his food that he's purchased... He bumps into the Walkers, his his cousins, um, Callan, Irene, Kristoff. Uh, Callan, Irene, and Kristoff. So Irene is his aunt, and Callan and Kristoff are her sons, who were Molly's brothers. Um, yeah, so it's the Molly, the Molly contingent of the of the family. Yeah, and and Blake is trying to be respectful here. I mean, he obviously hates them, but he's trying to. He he, he cared for Molly too, and he, he's trying to respect her by by being nice to them basically Look, he does nothing wrong like within this interaction i don't i don't well you know up until the sort of the the fisticuffs um <laughs> yeah. he's pretty reasonable it's very much they're the antagonists of, of this particular uh confrontation well yeah mostly he's in the right but there's this one weird moment where um uh, <laughs> uh they're talking about like how he couldn't wait to get into the house and i think it's callan who says Oh, you couldn't even wait until her body was cold until you you moved in. And Blake's internal monologue says she was cold before she died. I thought, and, yeah. And it's just, it's so weird. It's so he's just like flat. He just has this memory of like, oh yeah, she died out in the woods. She would have been cold before she died. 
Like, um, it, what? What? It's it's this weird kind of like it, it almost feels like he's trying to do like a sick burn on someone, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know who or say why it because it's horrible. <laughs> yeah. Um. I. I. Yeah. I was trying to think if he was also meaning more than just like literally temperature, like. But mm. I, I. I don't. Yeah. Like I don't. She was I don't alone. know. I don't really yeah. know where this thought fits into everything. I, it just jumped out at me. It's like it's such a strange thing to even just think to yourself. Yeah. Um, so, so Blake is trying to be nice in this, in this interaction, but Callan and the other walkers are just so, it seems like they are just, things just happen to go as wrong as they possibly can, right? Like Callan just won't, won't let it go, won't not be aggressive towards Blake. And so they have this relatively brief physical altercation. Blake kind of holds his own pretty well against Callan and and knocks him down. Um, but then kind of gets the sense that, oh, this has been set up. So he, he turns on his second sight and sees the walkers are connected to him in a more direct way than 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 any other connections between people and so he suspects that there's some kind of magic trickery going on here yeah well he I, he specifically calls out that the lines between himself and the walkers have a different look than between everyone else that he can see in the room um yeah. so he assumes that they've been artificially affected um which kind of makes yeah. sense uh, they've kind of been set on him somehow. Yeah, and I, I love this little bit when Blake punches Callan and he punches him twice and like incapacitates him and Callan's like rolling on the ground bleeding and Blake just sort of looks down at him and then just thinks, oh man, my hands hurt. <laughs> it's so it's so cold. Uh, it, it's fantastic. Yeah. He doesn't even give he doesn't give any shits. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so another. It, it continues to go worse, almost by coincidence, but obviously it's not coincidence, it's premeditated yeah. <laughs> or, you know, something. Um, Laird shows up, and the crowd is clearly, like, siding against Blake. In fact, they're, they're basically willing to lie to Laird to try and get Blake arrested for assault, seemingly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> Laird is not an ally to Blake most of the time, but he kind of just lets it go. He He... I really get the sense that Laird could have fucked him over to a large extent. Um, he could have, you know, I mean, Laird has to get to the council meeting, sure, but he could have called in another policeman to, like, lock him up and make him miss the meeting or, or, or anything like that, you know? I think it's curious that he didn't do that. I I kind of assume that it's part of the, the like, ceasefire. Like, the ceasefire may go beyond just you can't mm. be malicious towards people, but, like, also... Uh, like some sort of you know just like being idle and and letting something go poorly like because presumably Laird clued in right away that this was some sort of premeditated spell that had gone on and perhaps yeah if he there's more if of not, cult he alarms. was involved in its planning <laughs> yeah yeah i also think that he it could all be a setup that maybe he's meant to be coming in and playing the sort of savior but um mm. i mean i i don't really know that that's not a good plan so i don't think that is it because after what he's already done, it's a pretty minor savior move um, to make up for yeah. a pretty earlier, a pretty I big. I didn't dick move. arrest you, so <laughs> <laughs> we're even. <laughs> um, I I do. I also I love the the clever little wordplay they do, where mm. um Blake Blake sort of says some stuff to him, and and Led's like, you know, are you giving me snark? And Blake's like, no, I'm just telling the truth. And then Led sort of looks at him for a while and says, yeah, I reckon you are. And it's that great little, <laughs> great little double speak that um, I, I have a feeling yeah. there's going to be a, a bit more of. But I always love that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Well, there's definitely going to be more of that. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, it's it's so great. I mean, I, we haven't really talked about this that much, but I do just love that practitioners can't lie. <laughs> like, <laughs> it just makes all these interactions so fun. Yeah, well, it uh, it's so great because it turns all of the interactions or a- analyzing like all the other practitioners and their actions into more what what did they really mean rather than are they telling the truth or not like it's it's such an yeah. interest more interesting dynamic for us to try and look into what are they really talking about rather than oh that probably just can't be trusted uh it's it's going to be yeah. a lot of fun and it it means that every practitioner has to be trained in deceit like just by the fact that they exist in this world they have to know how to be deceitful which is great yeah yeah i assume um, if you want to be even remotely competent you you have to learn not to just be too easy yeah yeah uh so laird kind of escorts blake to the council meeting meaning that his shopping spree is over and it's at a church which i think is funny <laughs> <laughs> uh and then um yeah blake enters and they we see everybody who we saw back in the vision at the start of the at the start of the story yeah well what was interesting to me is this isn't just a meeting of the practitioners which was sort of what i thought it also seems to be mm. all of the others like i thought maybe a couple would show up but yeah, like from Blake, like Blake talks about how it t- it takes an hour for the trickling of others to cease, which implies to me that there's like potentially hundreds, um, mm, which is terrifying. Yeah. Um, we see Patrick and his crew, who yeah. obviously we've met. Um, I don't think we see any of the other others from from the whole pizza delivery guy. Uh no, he does. He he recognizes the no face lady. Oh, the faceless lady. Yeah. Perfect. Um. A classic. <laughs> and we get uh, names to each of the faces that we haven't got names to yet. So yeah. there's uh, the, the Behames, of course, the Duchamps. Um, the Duchamps, we kind of learn are, or is revealed to us that they are an all-women coven of enchantresses that focus on like altering relationships between people and things. Hmm. And so we've already been introduced earlier into this chapter to the concept that there are essentially spirits uh representing the relationships between people as well and so uh yeah. enchantresses uh focus on manipulating those and it just immediately makes them obvious suspects for the the attack that just <laughs> happened yeah yeah um and uh it's it's obviously relevant that uh laird seems pretty chummy with who seems to be the leader of the duchamps as well um then we have uh uh who else do we have we have mara ag Angnakak, who is an indigenous Canadian who seems kind of more other than practitioner. Yeah, um, so she sounds more like what I was sort of picturing when when the ward of Montreal was mentioned last chapter, like someone who's just sort of an incredible, a- incredibly powerful uh, and long-standing um, practitioner. Yep. Um, we have the Briar girl, who is a kind of teenaged girl with a very imposing uh, kind of chimera animal familiar that's made up of like a bear and a fish and some weird stuff yeah she seems creepy (laughs) yeah well because it sounds like she may be under the control of her familiar like she some like Mm. she perhaps overreached with choosing her familiar and obviously i still don't know most of the details around familiar choosing but uh yeah yeah i mean that's that's a terrifying extra bit of the mix of uh you know familiar picking Yep, uh, we get Johannes, who, again, who we haven't really seen since the vision, I don't think, but... No. He's back. He's got a dog that seems to glow a little bit, um, and there are a bunch of young children ghost other things that are crowding around him, which is delightful. Yeah. <laughs> delightful. Um, I mean, obviously, considering they're others, it doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it certainly adds a bit of a, like, ick 
factor to yeah. to Johans uh that he surrounded yeah. himself with a a group of children uh like others he, <laughs> he definitely gives me this like vizier kind of vibe you know he's like well he just seems a bit proper but actually there's clearly some shady shit going on there you know yeah yeah he's definitely he strikes me as one of those people who's just noticeably sleazy as anything but mm. like acts as if he's he's very proper yeah totally um we get Patrick again and uh sticking close to Patrick is the girl who uh blake saw talking to him uh, a teenager in a, a checkered scarf yes uh, uh maggie who holt. We, i think we know is maggie holt yes yeah. um so <laughs> so th- we kind of have this meeting uh and and laird kind of calls out to blake to introduce himself because they're all kind of there to see him um, and Blake has an idea, a very impulsive idea, and doing the right thing, he asks Rose's permission <laughs> without really giving her any details of what he's actually planning to do. Yeah, it's- Which is great. It, it, it's almost like he only said it just because otherwise he'd be breaking <laughs> his word. Um, because it's just, he's like, I did say I'd run impulsive plans by you, and I'm yep. thinking I'm gonna do one, and Rose is like, what the fuck are you talking about? I just- <laughs> Just yeah. sit down, and he's She's like, so and he's baffled like, by it. <laughs> no, I've done my duty. I have sort of run it past you, and it's like as if that counts. Yeah. Like that's absolutely not in the spirit of that promise. <laughs> no, no, check the box, and now you can do it guilt free because you said you would, and you did. So yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> this is great. Um, so his idea is he he runs up to the front or walks to the front and says, "Hey, you know that thing that you guys are worried that I'm going to release? Well, it's already been summoned, and." Uh, if you offer not to attack me, I will make a ceasefire with you, the first three people who make this deal. Yeah. And that's that. That's that's his plan. I mean, it's an idea more than a plan, I suppose. It's but. definitely like a, a go big strategy. I'm sure Rose Senior is in whatever plane she has moved on to, probably looking up <laughs> at Blake and smiling. Um, yeah, looking up for sure. <laughs> definitely not looking down. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like, what do you think of this plan? It's... Like, his his idea behind it is, you know, people are going to all rush to make deals with me and then they're going to be infighting and it'll be great or, you know, something to that effect. It, it, yeah, it's an attempt to basically use uh, the leverage of having Rosa's stuff to divide everyone else to give him a bit of space, hoping they'll all fight each yeah. other. Um, it definitely relies on the fact that everyone believes that he can do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know how it's going to work out, especially since we're just starting an arc called Damages. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we'll, no meta uh, knowledge. We'll, yeah, yeah, we'll see. I, I still think it's yeah. a it's a high risk, high reward plan. Um, yeah. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we will see. Uh, but that's the end of the chapter. He he. Yeah. Announces his grand plan, and <laughs> the chapter ends before we really see how anyone reacts to it. Yeah, it's a great it's a great sort of cliffhanger like dropping this huge bombshell and then uh it, it took it took a lot of effort to not just for, for me a few days ago to not just hit that next chapter button um <laughs> yeah this this is great yeah. yeah um yeah but i guess we'll see how it how it pans out next chapter uh yeah I, you'll see how it pans out you know five minutes after we stop yeah, recording, yeah. I guess. <laughs> exactly um so that was damages 2.1 what do we think of this chapter on the, on the whole elliot um yeah, I'm exciting. I mean, we're back to sort of a bit of a setting up chapter because we're starting a new arc, but um, yeah, we're we're getting lots of little details on how magic works now that Blake can do it. Um, which is which is yeah. really cool. 
Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just excited to see where it goes. Yeah, I, I think I, the thing I liked the most about this chapter is it just revealed another completely different way for magic to work in this universe, altering the bonds between people as a tangible thing that can be like seen and, and messed with. It, it's great. It's just like, oh yeah, cool. Magic can do this too, <laughs> I guess. Why not? <laughs> yeah. I, again, because we've talked about how there's all this symbolism woven into the world of practitioners, and now we're sort of seeing that it, it just extends into the world. Um, yeah, which is great. Um, it, you know, Wildburst created a world where metaphors are in the text. <laughs> it definitely suits his style. Um, so let's enough about what we thought about the story. Let's <laughs> let's talk about what some other people thought about the story as we visit comments from five years ago. Yeah. Um, do you want to start with yours? Yeah, sure. So I've start. Uh, I've picked out a comment uh, by a user named Chair, and it's not like a particularly <laughs> uh, like literary insightful comment but it it was just something it's just a little insight that i completely missed which was um blake notices while he's shopping um for all his stuff that everyone is staring at him and and chair points out that his shopping cart is like a baseball bat a chain a bunch of mirrors and like he's looking (laughs) at ice picks and hatchets so of course everyone's staring at him like it that might have nothing to do with what he is it's just if you see someone with that like shopping cart you're probably going to wonder what on earth they're up to. I don't think you even wonder. I think you just assume <laughs> they're a serial killer. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I missed this on my first go around too. It's like, Blake, you don't have to be so paranoid. You're buying some weird shit. Yeah, well, because I've because yeah. i sort of bought into Blake's paranoia uh, so much. So, so Chair's comment really sort of was a great way for me to take a bit of a step back and be like, no, actually, like, he is just being <laughs> super weird. Yeah, super dodgy. Um, yeah, I like that comment. Uh, I, I picked one out by uh, Mr. No Yes, and I, I like this comment. Uh, so the, the gist of the comment is he's, he's pointing out that for some stories, you can easily put yourself in the protagonist's shoes and think you'd do well or, oh, this would be pretty difficult. But in a story like Pact, <laughs> it's hard to imagine that you would survive a day or two days. And really, considering the amount of shit that Blake has already been put through, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of surprised he's still alive, even though we're only one arc in. Yeah, no, it's totally true. And I like I I already had a few moments in arc one, like when when Laird left uh, Blake in that coffee shop and he was getting kicked out. And I sort of yeah. talked about how I probably would have just frozen or maybe tried to get the coffee shop to be like, you know, well, I'm not getting out of here until you know the <laughs> chief of police. <laughs> Well, I would have been like, oh, get the chief of police to make me leave. Like, try to get led back, even though that yeah. might make things yeah. worse. Yeah, not a bad strategy. But if we think about how many times has Blake been in a life or death situation so far? Like, he's narrowly avoided death at the very start with the bird skull things. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty bad situation with the coffee shop and then with, with Patrick as well. I mean, maybe that's not death, but it definitely would have been pretty bad. Yeah, um, he had a close call of his of his own making with Barbatorum, uh, technically. Um, yep, yep. One step in the wrong direction and he probably would have died there. <laughs> the pizza delivery guy thing, like that was very nearly he would have died. Two more steps outside the front door. Like, shit, I would be dead by now. Uh, what a boring story it would have been. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think something something that hasn't really clicked for me until we're just having this conversation is Molly actually lasted four months. That's a pretty solid effort. Um, yeah. I've talked about how brief and tragic her time in the story was, but 
um you know there's four months of behind the scenes fuckery uh you know with with molly's story that you know what like blake's yeah. what a two two three days in yeah three or four days tops yeah so he, he's got he's got essentially four more months of this before he gets to <laughs> molly's level before he even ties her record <laughs> yeah shit Ooh. um yeah just fun to think about uh, man how has he even survived this long um yeah Ooh. uh so that's uh, that's the first uh chapter of damages damages 2-1 yeah, I guess that's that, huh? Yeah, uh, that was a lot of fun. I'm keen for the rest of the arc. Yeah, um, so we'd love to hear what you guys thought about uh, about this chapter. What do you think is getting set up? What do you think is going to happen? Do you think people will take Blake's deal? Um, if you want to answer any of those <laughs> questions or anything else, you can uh, take a look in, in the show notes down below. We have a link to our discussion thread on Reddit where you can uh, talk about the episodes with us. Yeah, uh, if you don't want to hit us up via Reddit, um, you can go to our website, which is also in the show notes, mediamdpodcast.com. And from there, you can find links to our Twitter and our Facebook and uh, our email address. So those are some other ways to, to get, get your info to us. Yep, from the, uh, from the website, you can also leave us a review on iTunes, which would be quite helpful. Um, I guess that's that. We'll see everybody in three days yes. uh, on the 21st yes. for damages 2.2 monday the 21st of january we'll see you then bye